0: Oh man, please do take a seat. So we come back to this book after we did the offerings in 2021. Um, and because you and I don't remember what I said in 2021, we're going to go right back uh, and review three of the five offerings in the first few chapters of the book of Leviticus. Um, and then next week we'll continue from where we stopped in chapter 8 with our guest speaker, David Upton. Very much look forward to that. How much do you remember... About what happens in the book of Leviticus. What first comes to mind? Tell the person next to you. You've got 10 seconds. <coughs> Five, four, three, two, one. I have um, been forbidden from sharing what first comes to my mind, which is what I would entitle um, a sermon. I think I'm going to tell you anyway. um, But someone uh, somewhere has done a sermon in the Holiness Code, which is from chapter 17 onwards, and uh, they've called it Blood and Semen because the book of Leviticus deals with powerful symbols, things that we see, in our natural world here, that point to greater realities in Jesus. And I promise you this, even that sermon would make you walk away going, isn't Christ amazing? So watch with bated breath (laughs) as we get to that chapter. Okay, I was watching a commercial um, where this, um, have you seen this, an old man lifting a weight? Um, Anyway, this old man just seems a bit ludicrous, right? He's maybe in his... Um, Actually, I can't say because then you'll know that you're old. Anyway, he was an old man, whatever that means in your mind, um, right? And he's he's getting a kettlebell, kettlebell, wait, and all he does is this, brings it up. And at first he can't do it, so he carries on trying. His neighbors see him from a distance and they begin to judge him. He's now doing it in the snow, okay, he's doing it in all conditions. Come rain or shine, he's outside lifting the kettlebell until he can do this. Have you seen this commercial? This ritual was bewildering to everybody who could see what this old man was doing. And then camera pans out, in comes a new scene, it's Christmas. He's being welcomed into his daughter's home, he's got a gift in hand, he goes to the bottom of the stairs, sees his granddaughter. She comes down, he he gives her the gift, she opens it. It's a beautiful star to go atop the Christmas tree. He gets her, feeble though he seems, lifts her, and she can put the star on the Christmas tree. I was crying (laughs) just watching it. I was. But to everybody, that poor old fella just looked mad. But that ritual had meaning behind it. To many of you, you read one of my favorite verses, Leviticus 3, 16b, The fat belongs to the Lord. And you go, is this a Slimming World commercial? Um, It should be a memory verse for them. But once you know, folks, that the fat represents the very best, the very choicest part of an animal, and that is given to God, all of a sudden, that's pregnant with meaning. So these are just some of the reasons why this book exists, guys. To encourage you in your relationship with God, Because as we end the book of Exodus, what happens is this, the tabernacle, the place where God is going to make his presence known, is filled with the glory of God, and now what do we do? The book of Leviticus, if you remember, answers the question, how can a holy God, he's majestic, he's perfect, live amongst a sinful people, the nation of Israel, without them all being destroyed? By his glory because they are sinners. How can he do that? We first begin by answering with sacrifices. Because Leviticus is going to teach us that life is in the blood. And either I am punished for the sins that I've committed because God is holy. Or something or someone else over here is punished in my place. Let me tell you a a few reasons why this is a joyful book, okay? And if you're taking notes, just a few quick reasons. Number one, it was good news, and it is good news for sinners, okay? If you know that you are not perfect, if you know that before God you haven't got a leg to stand on because you're not impressive at all, you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if that's you, reading Leviticus, you don't despair. Because the same God who is holy is the God who initiates. He invites you. He says, you, come. And you're like, but I don't know how I can't. He says, I'll provide the way as well because he's loving. So it's good news for sinners, okay? Imagine here a contrast. I know that uh, I was teaching Sunday school this morning, but I've been told that Andy did a bit of comparative religions this morning. Um, And if you imagine here that there are religions, um, religious people out there that don't know if they've done enough So that God will love them. That's not the God of the Bible. He he provides a way and he says, and they will be forgiven. It's also good news, not just for sinners, but for the vulnerable. Later later in Leviticus, you're going to find out why for vulnerable women, Leviticus has good news and rights. Why for indentured slaves, Leviticus has good news. They have rights before God. For the foreigner and for the poor. So it's good news for the sinners, for the vulnerable. It's good news for the muddled. Okay? If you read some of the language in the New Testament and you go, why are they calling this woman unclean just because she's in her period? What is going on? Leviticus will explain to you when we get there. Look at verse number 1 of Leviticus chapter 1 again with me. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. From the tent where God is dwelling, the king speaks, and he says, draw near, draw near, come to me. So let's look at the first offering, the burnt offering. The burnt offering gets its name from a Hebrew word that means rising up. And you've got this picture as you're reading through the description. We haven't got time to read all three chapters, um, verse by verse. But the idea that the very blood of the animal that dies instead of you is burnt on the altar and rises up. And it's pleasing to the Lord is where we get the name of this offering from. All of the animal is is uh, burnt. It probably is the first offering that we see in the book because it's the most important one. You can look at Numbers chapter 28 for your bedtime reading later on. And there you'll find that it was offered twice a day, morning and evening often these first three that we see in chapters 1, 2, and 3 were offered together. And you're going to see why. Because the theme is, just as these offerings are varied, our relationship with God has many different facets. So, the, so chapter 1, atonement. If sin drove a wedge between us and God so that we can't get to Him, the burnt offering... Enables forgiveness. In chapter 2, so atonement, in chapter 2, you've got a gift, the theme of a gift to the king. In chapter 3, you've got the theme of peace with the king. So here's what I want to do. Each offering, very quickly, I'm going to tell you the ritual, the reality it points to, and the response that we should have. Okay. So as you glance at those verses, see if you can follow it with me. What do you do, right? The ritual. You bring the animal to the entrance of the tabernacle, like God makes his presence known. You lay your hand on the animal, which means you're associating your life with the animal. And then you know that the animal dies instead of you. I once saw as a child um, my grandmother's maid in the countryside um, murder a chicken. OK, murder, because for, to me as a child, I was like, this is completely outrageous. OK, she held the chicken in place. She slid its throat. She hung it upside down to bleed it. So that she could then prepare the chicken. The face that some of the kids just made, as I said, that. Is the face that we don't make when we think of our sin. We're not we're not horrified by our sin. But the Israelite who was coming to worship God, knowing that they needed forgiveness, they are laying their hand on the animal, and with the other hand, they will slice its throat. The priest will then collect the blood on the side of the altar and sprinkle it, and then it will butcher, uh, the priest will butcher the animal carefully, and the entire animal is burnt up. Look at verse 9. And then look at verse 11. See the repetition. Look at verse 17. It is a burnt offering, a food offering. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. Why pleasing? Because the king who lives among you, if you're an Israelite here, has invited you to be forgiven. And you said, yes, you came. And now you're forgiven. It's pleasing to God. He wants people to be forgiven. So that's a bit of the ritual. And by the way, what's important, I told you that it's good news for even the poor. The different kinds of animals that can be offered later we find in the book of Leviticus are because if you can't afford to buy, say, a bull, but you can afford to go out into the wilderness and trap a bird, you can still have fellowship with God. Some people out in the world still think that being a Christian might be about being rich or about being of a certain social standing or about being an upstanding citizen. It's not about any of these things. And even in Leviticus, it's about simply saying sorry for your sin and bringing it to God. That's why we need to talk about the reality, the ritual, the reality, okay? I've noticed, and I told you this before, there is a phenomenon that happens in churches, and it's like this. Uh, I have begun to notice it now even in the Pebbles cupboard. Um, it's, like, it's like Tetris in this cupboard. That's uh, our toddler group, and it's toys everywhere, and they keep being added to. Um, sometimes, because, you know, you have a toy that's still good, and it's, it's really nice, um, Sometimes, because I think that the mindset is, I have something in my house, um, it maybe it works a little bit, maybe it doesn't, but I don't want it. I know, church will have it, okay? And so we think that instead of going, do you know what, I'm just going to look on Amazon and buy the most expensive things that our toddlers can play with or whatever, we just think sometimes, I have this old manky sofa, I'm just going to give it to church. I'm not saying that the sofas were given and that they are manky, but I'm just saying, the mindset is... Here, we find the complete opposite. God has given us, not an animal, but what each of these animals were pointing to every time they were killed and someone was forgiven, was a lamb of God, Jesus, who would one day be slain, but he would be the last. All of our sins that we would commit even in the future, we'd be forgiven. He's the lamb without blemish. Read that in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to appear on the screen. He's the most expensive, supremely valuable one. His blood covers every sin. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I told you about how it's a bit shocking that you might put your hand on an animal and then kill it. John chapter 3, 16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever lays their hand on Jesus by saying, I believe, forgive me. What happens to them? They will not perish in God's judgment, but have life forever. But for those who choose to not do that, verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Can you see how now you read Leviticus chapter 1 and you go, Man alive, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus dying for me. And this is about how if I don't trust in Jesus, I'm the one who must be punished forever outside of God's presence. So what's our response? It's obvious, isn't it? If you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a believer... You run to Jesus and you say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave not just an aspect of your life, but how much of the animal was burnt up? All of it. There was no thought, no deed, no interaction in Jesus' life that wasn't given over for our salvation. So you read Leviticus chapter 1 and you go, Jesus died for me. I'm so grateful. And you say, with Paul in Romans chapter 12. Let's read it together. It'll appear on the screen. Will it? Did I put it on that? I did. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. If you've understood that Jesus sacrificed himself so that you could become part of God's family, in response, you say, Jesus, whatever you want, you want all of me? Take it. Teach me to give it to you. That's our response. I wonder, if the, is that what you believe? That's the burnt offering. Park that for a minute. Here is now the grain offering in chapter 2, also known as the tribute offering. We have a new king. What gift do you think would be appropriate for you to give to King Charles? Five seconds, the person next to you. Five, four, three, two, one. Any ideas? A congratulations card. Do you think that's worthy of a king? A congrats. Okay. Well, perhaps it's a very special card, handmade, only one in the universe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. A Greg sausage roll. You can see it's not. It's not worth it being a king in this country, is it? Particularly. Um, let me tell you this the late Queen Elizabeth visited Brazil in 1968 for a week. The prefect of Brasilia gave to her, you ready? One sloth and two jaguars. That's pretty good, isn't it? I think so. She promptly Put him in a plane, not in a plane, but she did bring him over and they lived at London Zoo where they were looked after. Do you think that's a gift worthy of a queen? I think so. That sounds pretty good to me. Okay. If even a modern royal is worthy of great gifts, how much more if it's true that God is our ultimate king of kings, king above all kings. Read chapter 2, verse 8, with me. Bring the grain offering made of these things, present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. One of the other translations um, of this word that we find in Judges chapter 3 is when Ehud brings Eglon uh, king of Moab, something, which is a great, please read this story, please. If you don't know it, there is, there is, a, f- there is a fat man, it's my not my words, I'm not fat-shaming, it's the Bible, it's the translation. There's a fat man, there is, there is a dagger, and a left-handed man, which is a sinister thing, come and talk to me afterwards. Um, absolutely fantastic. But the point is, the word for tax there is the same word that we find here for the tribute offering. For the grain offering. does consist of grain. But just like the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fellowship offering. These were all voluntary things. You didn't, you didn't have to do them. The sin offering in chapter 4. If you sin unintentionally, you must bring it. But if you love the Lord as your king. Chapter 1. You want his forgiveness. So you bring the burnt offering. Chapter 2. You now enjoy Serving him. So you bring him tribute. I wonder what you would say is the best thing about a friendship. Or the best thing, what's so good about a friendship? What's so good about a relationship? What's so good about marriage, for example? I hope that one of the things that you would say is... Wanting to be with each other. This morning, as part of my illustration... I took, my, I took my wedding ring and I put it on a young person in my Sunday school. <laughs> I had witnesses. The point, was, the point was, I said, because I put this ring on your finger, did anything physically change? And she said, well, I just got this ring on my finger and it's oversized. Perhaps she thought it was a bit ugly. But nothing had changed, right? The burnt offering. Imagine that you are forgiven by the king of the universe. What for? For relationship. That's what these two next offerings tell us about. To bring him your gifts, your tributes, because you're so grateful. So this is the offering of gratitude. So there it is. God has a covenant with his people. And they bring him offerings of gratitude. What reality does this point to? Well, look at these key verses in the New Testament with me. James 1:17 will appear on the screen. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father, right? Every good gift from God. Matthew chapter 5 verse, chapter 6 verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. In that prayer, in the Lord's prayer, we're recognizing that God is the one who provides our deepest needs, physical and spiritual that leads 1 Peter, Peter to say, in 1 Peter 2, five the following. Look at it. It's coming. The computer maybe, f- maybe froze. It will arrive. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual... It's coming. Offering spiritual sacrifices is what it's going to say. Acceptable to God because it's your obedience. If you belong to the King of the universe. The reality that this is pointing to is everything that you need, you have because of what Jesus has done for you. So you have everything that you need in Christ. For some of us tonight, we know that we have everything that we need in Christ because we have had financial needs. And he has looked after us through his people. Because we grieve. And he comforts us. Because we are joyful. And he gives us people to share our joy with in the family of God. So we are grateful to him. And we live like it. So I wonder, what works of gratitude do you want to offer your king who rescued you? What skills, abilities, possessions, time and energy would you want to put to the service of others on behalf of the king, for him? One little detail for you to enjoy. Look at it in chapter 2, verse 13. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. You're like, Leviticus is nuts, isn't it? It's just crazy. But here's what one of the commentators that I um, was really persuaded by said. You're not supposed to put yeast or honey because if you burn those bad boys, fermentation happens and it's decay. And we can't have death or decay associated with God. But you put salt on the altar, it doesn't burn up. And when you call it salt of the covenant, that means if you're an Israelite and you're part of God's people, ain't nobody Gonna split you apart. Nobody can harm or damage the covenant. Apply it to the reality of Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, no one can separate you from him. Romans chapter 8. No death, sickness, no grief or sadness, things in the past or things to come. So next time you read Leviticus chapter 2 and you read Salt, you go, Thank you, Jesus. Nobody can separate me from you and the promises. You have made to rescue me but let's talk about the fellowship offering okay read again with me chapter 7 verse 28 it's the last offering that we want to talk about just a few verses the lord said to moses say to the israelites anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the lord is to bring part of it as their sacrifice to the lord notice part of it burnt offering you burn all of it With their own hands, they are to present the food offering to the Lord. They are to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before the Lord as a wave offering. And you're going to find out, look, verse 32, you are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offerings to the priest as a contribution. You're going to find out later if you scan um, the rest of the chapter, this is an offering where other people eat with you. That's unusual and unique about the fellowship offering. Now, Do you know what would happen if you were invited to, continuing the theme of royalty here, to a royal banquet? Does anybody here know any etiquette for anything like that? It's very interesting, right? I would struggle. I have no etiquette. Um, Someone, uh, a British person, southerner, I might add, rebuked me for um, lacking etiquette on the road. I said, if someone cuts in front of me dangerously, I will beep. He said, that's very rude. I said, if they cut in front of me, he said, that's very rude. You know, so appropriateness. For the rest of the trip, I was uncomfortable sitting next to this person. But <coughs> if you attended a banquet, you would need to know that if you are in the presence of King Charles, perhaps you need to bow a certain way. Okay, must be the right way, not the wrong way. Perhaps um, if you come to the banquet, you're going to have to sit where you were assigned seating. You can't say. I was really hoping to be next to the ambassador for... You can't do that. Can't do that okay? Another thing that you can't do is apparently talk to the person to the left when it's time to talk to the person to the right. It's etiquette. I don't remember which one happens first, but that's, that's what happens. Would you feel relaxed and comfortable in that environment? Would you? Not even my nan would. She wouldn't. She's shaking her head. You know? The point is if you are in the presence of someone of greater importance than you, the last thing you feel is relax. But here, this offering is about eating together, enjoying the peace that you have with God. I say the peace because when I read what scholars say, the name of this offering in Hebrew is Shalomim, and that kind of sounds like Shalom. And scholars will know a lot more about this stuff than me. So that means this offering has to do with enjoying our peace, because Shalom means peace. Peace in the sense of everything in its right place in our relationship with God and in the world. So this is a religious party. Follow the ritual with me. You bring a bull or a cow or a flock animal, including a goat, you lay hands on it, blood thrown on the sides of the altar in the presence of the Lord, but not all of it was burn, burned. The rest of the animal was eaten by priests, by you, the worshiper. And some is with God. In 2006, the one of the programs that my wife is um, really mad about, she enjoys, is the Greek British menu. It had its first season. And um, you may know that it brought together 14 of the top professional chefs Um, in the UK, representing seven different regions, and they were going to cook their best so that they would win the prize of, does anybody remember? What's the big thing that you get to do? You get to cook for the queen. That was her 80th um, uh, birthday celebration, and you cook for her and her friends. And so the winning dishes um, came from all corners of the nation, A starter from Northern Ireland, turbot with cockles and oxtail from Wales, loin of roe venison from Scotland and venison, um, and a custard tart flying the flag for the north. Imagine the incredible stress that these guys went through, and all they were doing was practicing, practicing for the real banquet that was going to happen you see where i'm going practicing here we have people eating in god's presence a priest a worshiper god is there in the tabernacle what reality does that point to what else would you and i eat together to celebrate the peace that we have with god but the lord's supper the lord's supper Except then, we don't host God, we don't bring the food, we don't bring the sacrifice. He hosts us. We look at Jesus having died for us and we go, I have peace with God, peace with God. Savor that with me a little bit in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 will say... It might appear on the screen as well. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The point, guys, is that when we're having communion here together, that's just one, one big, big example that I believe this offering points to. The point is We're not going to do it just because it's what we do every other week. We're not going to do it and while we wait for the bread or the juice to come around, just sort of think about what's on the shopping list for tomorrow morning. We're going to do it knowing that because of what Jesus has done, we eat in the presence of God, enjoy peace with God. Because you know what? If If you haven't yet made your decision to follow Jesus, Paul has just said, You are his enemy. That the whole way that you live your life insults and offends God. And yet he loves you. And he says, come and enjoy peace with me. And then one day, we will eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb, at the end of the book of Revelation, where we enjoy forever, knowing no more sin, no more pain, no more sadness, no more grieving. Only the love of God with each other. So I wonder, as we bring things to a close, Leviticus chapter 1, have you trusted that Jesus gave all of his life for you so that you could be forgiven? Leviticus chapter 2, if he is your king, do you and I put all of our gifts, all of the our possessions as an offering to Him, as tribute? Chapter 3, do we enjoy the peace of God? Even, as you might read in Philippians chapter 4, a peace that comes and you don't know how. I've met people who fell and broke their hip, and yet they know the peace of God. can't come from their circumstances. I've known people um, who are in extreme sorrow, or struggling with mental health struggles, or depression, and yet somehow they know the peace of God. The peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians chapter 4. Is that you? And if it isn't, would you like to know more? Andy, me, Dickie, Mick, any of us elders, Tony over there, would love to chat to you so that you could enjoy forgiveness, knowing your king, and peace with him.